we're focusing on a theme this year called Love First. How many of you guys knew that's our 2021 theme? Love First. And we really want to take a look at what it means to be known by love. It's on our back wall of our lobby, our mission statement. Um, we are passionate followers of Jesus Christ who desire to live our lives by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope to our community and our world. That's our mission statement. So we're zooming in on that second element that's in our mission statement. What does it look like to be known by love? Literally, what does it mean to love first? In all of our interactions, what would it look like for us to have love be the thing that people walk away experiencing and feeling from their interactions with Crossroads Church? Is that a, is that a lofty goal? Is that something that is worth achieving, worth striving towards? I believe so. And our leadership team believes so. That's why we set that as this year's theme, to love first. Well, Galatians really is this book that talks about what it looks like to understand God's love for us. Because we can't love first until we first have received his love into our hearts and into our lives. And Galatians kind of sets that stage of what it looks like. What has God done for us? What is the gospel that God has, has provided in our lives that we can experience his love and then can turn around and take that love and, and love others with the same love we've received? And so Galatians is where we're going to dive in for the next several weeks as we journey through 2021 together. And I'm glad that you're here to kick off the week. So, who were the Galatians? Maybe you guys are wondering that. I wondered that myself as I began to study, and I dove a little deep. And I won't give you the depths of it, but I will tell you this, that several hundred years before Christ, there was a group of tribes, and they were fierce tribes. They were the types that you didn't want to come across. And they were located in uh, Gaul, G-A-U-L, which is modern France. And these, these fierce tribes from Gaul had migrated from modern France into Asia Minor. And they founded Galatia, which simply means, translated, the country of the Gauls. And when the Romans reorganized the ancient world, they made Galatia a part of a larger province that included several other areas. And they called the entire province the province of Galatia, which literally meant the place where those really fierce Gaul dudes live. Now, this province was not considered a prominent part of the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, it was like Nazareth, Nazareth was to the Jews. Do you remember when they went into Jerusalem and they were met with the Pharisees and, and they said that Jesus was from Nazareth? And they said, does anything good come from Nazareth? It was like the detestable part of the region or the community in which they lived. Well, this was like this area of, of Galatia to the Romans. The Romans considered the territory of the Gauls less desirable than all the other areas of the empire. Think Del Paso Heights. Sorry, Nate. My brother Nate was raised there. He can tell you about it. Think Real Linda. Sorry. Sorry, Mom. You know, there's parts that we identify with as Sacramentans that maybe are a little less desirable than others, right? And this was, this was this region that was known as Galatia. But here's the interesting thing. Just as Jesus 
just as God had chosen that his son Jesus would be known as a Nazarene, as one who was brought up in Nazareth. Why? If you're sending the king of kings to the earth, would you put him in real Linda? Would you put him in Del Paso Heights? But God always chooses the least of the things of this world to confound the wise, right? The Bible tells us that he chooses many times the things that are detestable in the world because he wants to show favor where he chooses to show favor. Whoa, that is loud. That's a computer? <laughs> I guess I'll just uh, keep going. All right. Always something. See, the technical guys, they never are noticed until something goes wrong. You ever notice that? So thank, thank them for their work. They do a lot of, a lot of great work, yeah. So, we love you, Don. All right. So uh, God had chosen to open the door to the gospel to this region first. Think about that. Paul, on his first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14, you can read about it. God opens the door for Paul to go into this region known as Galatia. The detestable region filled with detestable people when the Romans thought about their empire. That He said, and God said, no, I want to send my good news, my love, my gospel to these people first. What a privilege it was to receive the message of the gospel from the Apostle Paul as he journeyed through the southern province of Galatia, which included these towns where churches were planted and born. Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, all of these areas were in this region known as Galatia, and it's to these areas that Paul is now writing. He had spent time sharing the gospel, raising up disciples, and planting the church in these towns. And now he is writing this letter to the very people that he had spent time with. You see, Paul was always concerned about his converts. He had a deep concern that they would stay true to Christ. And he rightfully should. Because God not only wants converts, he wants disciples. He wants people who are not only going to believe, but people who are going to live it out. And so Paul was concerned for these people that he had shared the gospel with because he had heard rumors that they weren't staying faithful to Jesus. Join me in prayer this morning as we, as we dive in to the book of Galatians. Heavenly Father, God, I just pray this morning that we will be able to understand, God, your word for us today. I know that this was written to a group of people that sometimes we find it maybe hard to identify with, some several thousand years ago, God, but you have, a, you have a message for us today through your word. And so I pray as we dive in and we, we discover the principles that are, that are in your word, God, we apply those things into our lives and into our hearts. God, change us. Don't, don't let us leave this place the same way that we came. God, change us and mold us more into the image of your son so that we can love first. We can love first as your church, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I entitled my message this morning, Listen to His Voice, because there's a lot of voices in our world. 
The Galatians had experienced a lot of voices telling them what to believe and how to live life. The Apostle Paul was just one of those voices, but as we learned in the video, the Judaizers, those that came from Jerusalem that were Jewish and said, you got to obey the law, you got to get circumcised, forget this Paul guy, he's teaching you heresy. You got to go our way. And there was a lot of voices confusing them. You know, I, I coach baseball. And one of the things that I, I do as a coach is I try and prepare my team for facing any circumstance on the field. I'm not always successful at it. I, I'm teaching 11 and 12-year-olds right now. And one of the things coaches do is they provide signs to the team. So from the dugout, I relay a set of signs in circumstances, and then they have to interpret those signs and hopefully understand what I'm communicating and then be able to act it out or carry it out. Well, one of those scenarios that comes up in baseball, and anybody who knows baseball knows, first and third, runners on first and third, right? And especially in Little League, the likely chance of the guy on first base running to second is very high. Because coaches know that at that level, it's not very easy to be able to throw it to second base and then throw it back to home if that runner breaks from third base. So usually as a coach, I have a sign that I relay into my catcher that tells them what to do with the ball if the runner from first breaks for second. And so I remember one time, you know, it's been a couple of years ago, and I had an all-star team, and I relayed in a, a signal to my catcher, and he, he then goes out in front of the plate, and he relays in a set of signs that communicates to the rest of the team what the coach's intention was. And the coach's intention was, don't throw the ball to second, okay? And we have a kind of a play where you throw it really quick, but you just throw it back to your pitcher. That way, if the runner from third breaks, the pitcher has the ball, and he can get him in a rundown, right? But don't throw it all the way down to second. So, of course, I relay in the signal, and the catcher supposedly gets the signal, and he relays it to the team, and then the pitch is delivered to the catcher. Sure enough, the runner from first breaks to second. And then all these people in the stands who have no idea what the coach just relayed in start yelling, throw it, get him, get him! And the catcher decides to listen to their voice. You see, he knew the instruction. He knew the authority that came from the dugout, but he was overwhelmed with the pressure of the crowd. And the overwhelmed with the voices chanting to go ahead and fire it down to second. Sure enough, he fires down to second, the runner breaks from third, we miss the ball, and they score a run. Devastating consequence. I won't say how the rest of the game went. But here are some questions that we need to consider this morning. Number one, Whose voice are you listening to right now? You see, there's a lot of voices in our lives, are there not? A lot of voices competing for our attention and our allegiance. And sometimes we end up listening to the wrong voice. I want you to think about right now in your life, with the issues that you're facing, whose voice are you listening to? Number two, what authority trumps all others in your life? In the illustration of the baseball scene, who should have been the authority? The coach in the dugout, right? I, I'm granted the responsibility of that team and managing that team. The players knew that. They should have known that. But for some reason, they got mixed up and they started to value other voices and elevate them into a position of authority that dictated their action in a given moment. How often do we do the same thing? where we should know the authority as followers of Jesus. We should know the authority. 
This is the highest authority. This is the instructions that he's left for us to carry out and to follow. But how many times do we neglect listening to this? And we place some other voice or some other instruction or some other wisdom above this in our lives. And we end up going down a different path. Does how I answer those questions even matter? Is there really any consequences? I told you the consequence that happened in the baseball game. It was devastating. They scored a run and our team lost the game. But it's not nearly as devastating as some of the consequences we face in real life when we listen to the wrong voices and we elevate the wrong authorities in our lives. Galatians chapter 1, let's read it together. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a beautiful introduction, but it's a very brief, it's a short introduction, especially if you're familiar with the other books of the New Testament. You see, there are 27 books that comprise our New Testament. And out of those 27, 12, maybe 13, depending on who wrote Hebrews, were written by the Apostle Paul. That's nearly half of our New Testament were written by this man. And so there's many examples of Paul writing letters to churches and to individuals in our New Testament. And as you start to compare Galatians' introduction to all the other introductions, you begin to realize like something's missing. Something's different in Paul's tone and in his writing. And this morning, I want to I kind of focus in on the uniqueness of this introduction and what it means as we begin to dive into this letter known as Galatians. First of all, the opening of Galatians is, is both typical, but it's atypical. Though there's a salutation that includes the usual identification of author, recipient, together with a little customary greeting, there are several things that are glaringly missing. First, normally Paul names the recipient of one of his letter, when he, when he names them, he does so by affirming some sort of positive characteristic of who he's writing to. Some sort of like commendation for the audience that's receiving his letter. And yet in this letter, it's completely absent. Look at verse uh, 2 again. It says, to the churches of Galatia. It doesn't say, like in some of his other letters, the churches of God, the churches of God in Christ, to the faithful ones in Jesus Christ, to the saints. No, he doesn't write any commendation, any positive characteristic of this audience. That's interesting. That's different. What does that mean? Secondly, he doesn't have his usual expression of thanksgiving or his prayer of thanksgiving and praise over who he's writing to. The book of Ephesians, for example, has almost the entire first chapter just talking about who he's writing to and how marvelous they are and like how amazing what God has done in their lives and in their church. 
And yet here in Galatia, we have to the churches of Galatia. Done. Boom. Moving on. Something's missing. When compared with 1 Corinthians, you remember the Corinthian church, the, the church in Corinth? They were really messed up. They had a lot of moral problems. In other words, they, they were doing things, they were acting out in ways that were nowhere near what God had desired for them. Even in that letter, Paul wrote and praised them for things. He wrote and he, he thanked God for who they were and how they had been called by God and rescued into his grace. And yet here in Galatians, there is no mention of a prayer of praise, no mention of thanksgiving for this church. Something is wrong. Something is missing. Finally, notice how Paul introduces who the letter is from. You see what he says here? He says, Paul, an apostle, verse 1, not by men or by man. He, he's, really, he's really saying, hey guys, I didn't come from some guy saying you're a, an apostle. I was called by the risen Jesus Christ. I have a testimony. See, in that day, apostles, the thing that set them apart was that they had to be a witness of Christ's resurrection. There were a lot of disciples, but to be chosen and set apart as an apostle meant they had to witness the resurrected and glorified Christ. And Paul, even though he wasn't a follower of Jesus at the time when Jesus walked the earth, he was an apostle after the fact. Because you remember on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared in the sky and called him as an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul is authenticating. He's, he's pleading with the Galatians to understand that he's not just from some guy, some man, some power that man creates. He's from God. But he says, and all the brothers who were with me. Normally, Paul would mention a few individuals, people in the church or people who were there helping him write the letter, people that were just assisting him. But in this case, he does something so Paul is changing things up on purpose because he wants to express the seriousness of the situation that the Galatians are in. It's not all doom and gloom, however. Paul also includes some key concepts, some key aspects of what he had taught them when he was on his missionary journey there. He wants to remind them about the grace of God that he had planted the church with. And so he says in verse 3, grace to you. What is grace? Anybody know? It's God's undeserved kindness towards ungodly sinners. Did you hear that? It's God's undeserved. You can't earn it. It's a gift. Grace is a gift from God. And we can't earn it. And we don't deserve it. That's what grace is. And Paul is saying, I want you to understand God's grace, church in Galatia. You Galatian churches, please understand grace. You've lost the concept of grace. Instead of asking man to do, grace tells what God has already done and invites man to receive salvation as a free gift. He also goes on to talk about the peace you see, peace and grace are always related because if we receive God's grace, we enjoy God's peace. You realize that? That you can't be at peace with God or with man without first receiving 
God's forgiveness and grace. When a sinner receives a Savior, he is at peace with God. He rests in the knowledge that the penalty for his sins have been paid, that all his sins have been forgiven, and he will never be condemned. That's peace. That is security. Surely the Galatians realized that these blessings could never come by the law. The law brought a curse on all who broke its concepts. It never brought peace to a single soul. Paul wants to remind them, focus around God's grace and God's peace. What is the basis for receiving God's grace and God's peace? It's verse 4. Paul reminds them, Christ gave himself for our sins. See, that was voluntary. Nobody took Christ's life. I know we've seen the the examples of, you know, Pilate condemning him, issuing the sentence over Christ, that the soldiers took him and nailed him to a cross, that the Jews hurled insults on him and stood there standing watch over him as he suffered and died. But do you realize that was all of Christ's free will? That was all Christ laying down his life. No one took it from him. He freely gave it. And he gave it so that our sins could be paid for and that we could experience the grace of God and peace with God. That's what Paul wants to remind this church. It's the centrality of what Christ has done. Stop trying to go back to the other stuff that these people are trying to influence you about. You see, in Jesus, we have a unique gospel. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. What a summary of the gospel in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 we, we find. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. After being put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. First, we see in, in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we find that he alone was qualified because he was perfect righteousness. He was God who left heaven and came to earth. He lived the perfect life, perfect obedience to the Father while he was on earth. And so that he alone could stand in our place as the perfect sacrifice. We call it atonement. We call it propitiation. There's these fancy theological words that summarize this idea that without Christ, without a perfect stand-in, sins would be on our head. But Jesus knew that if he took the sins, he could impute, literally imputation, another fancy theological word, he could give credit to our account what was in his account. What was in his account? Perfection. Right standing before God. That is what he hands over to anyone who places their faith and trust in his sacrifice on the cross. That is a perfect, perfect, righteous sacrifice. Secondly, his death alone could satisfy. He made perfect atonement, propitiation. I talked about that. And finally, this verse really summarizes, but made alive in the spiritual realm. His resurrected glorified body provided the perfect salvation. See, death was the biggest enemy we face 
Death came in from sin, from that choice to rebel against God, to separate ourselves from his life-giving spirit. We were in trouble. We were separated from that eternal life-giving spirit that he provided when he created us through our own choice of sin. But because of his death and because of his resurrection, he showed that he has the power over the grave. We just celebrated that last week. Did you guys realize that? That's what we were here for on Easter Sunday. I know we were hunting eggs and enjoying a great breakfast buffet, but the reality is the celebration centers around the fact that Jesus is risen from the grave. He lives to intercede on our behalf with the Father in heaven. We have hope. Donna is experiencing hope today. Don't mourn for what she's feeling right now. She's feeling great. I saw her in the office. There was times where she wasn't feeling so great. Our bodies break down, do they not? We don't always feel great. She struggled at times, but there's no more struggle for her. She has a new body, a new existence. She is absent from the body, but present with the Lord. That's what the resurrection provides. He gave himself to settle the sin question. He, he gave himself to deliver us from this present evil age. Verse 4, that idea that he delivered us from the present evil age, it should, it should remind us that God is not focused on some of the things that we are focused on, unfortunately. He's not focused on improving our world. You notice that? It says that he, is, he came to deliver us from the evil age in which we live. Not make the world a better place or make, make men more comfortable in the world. No. Our priorities should coincide with his. We, we should have a message of deliverance out of the value system of this world, out of trying to live our lives in comfort in this world, and really to please God or an audience of one. You know, in my um, marriage to Amy, our wedding, what is it, 22 years ago, almost 23 years ago, on, in this very room, we walked down that aisle and we said I do to one another. And it was the second best decision of my life behind accepting Jesus as my Savior. And uh, in our wedding, one of the things that my wife and I really desired was to live our lives for an audience of one. And so we actually had a gentleman in the church at the time compose a song that was based on delivering that message to all who were in attendance. And during our unity candle, he played the song, Audience of One. And I'm reminded about how important it is to live for an audience of one. There are so many times where we, we, we're trying to impress someone or, or move in a direction of trying to please someone. And that is in direct contradiction to living for an audience of one, pleasing the one who won our salvation on the cross and has given us a mission to carry out in this world. Amen? Amen. It could be a challenge, but that's what God has called us to. So if as I wrote in my notes here, the opening verses alert the reader to the seriousness of Paul's concern. Now we're going to turn to the subject of Paul's concern. 
What issue has so captured Paul's attention and put him on high alert for these Galatian churches? What is the issue? We find it in verse 6. Read with me. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Wow. That's what Paul's concerned about. They've abandoned the true gospel that Paul had introduced into their community, that they had by faith said, yeah, we, we believe what Jesus did for us was, was, was satisfied God's wrath, and, and now we can experience his love and salvation and grace in our lives. We want that. And Paul said, great. Let me tell you how to take the next step. Get baptized. Declare to the world that you're changing your identity. You're going to identify yourself now with Jesus Christ. You're a follower of his. You're going to live your life submitted to his will as revealed in the scriptures. And you're going to walk that path faithfully the rest of your life, being a witness to those around you. Great job. Let's get to work. Paul had heard that suddenly he had left and some other people came in with a different voice, a different authority, and they started to go towards a different direction. Completely. It was almost like the Israelites. Do you remember the Israelites? They had been freed from slavery in Egypt. They got into the wilderness through the Red Sea, miracles. God had led them himself through a pillar of fire and a cloud by day. You remember the, I mean, I can't imagine being there. It must have been unbelievable to be rescued from the slavery, 400 years of slavery in a land of Egypt. God had rescued them. They get into the wilderness and they start complaining. They want to return to bondage. Can you believe that? They can't handle their freedom. They're like, well, we had it better in Egypt. No, you didn't. How foolish. That's what's happening to the Galatian church. They have received the greatness of God's perfect gospel that's revealed in Jesus Christ, the freedom that he wants to win them. And suddenly they want to return to the law, return to a different gospel. It was foolishness, and Paul was frustrated. He was angry that those voices were trying to sway people away from the truth. Verse 7. Not that there is another gospel. Paul recognizes there's no other gospel. There's only one good news. You can't add to it. You can't detract from it. But there are some who are troubling you and want to change the good news about the Messiah. You know, I think about, you know, the, the old guy in the van with the candy trying to lure the children away, you know, and he, it looks good. You know, he's got candy. It looks like he's got good intentions. And yet we all know what happens if the kids go to the candy and get into the van. It's not going to be good, right? That's what was happening in Galatia. There was these Judaizers and they had the candy. They're like, look, yeah, we like Jesus too, but we got some other stuff to add to it. You should really add to Jesus all the things that we're talking about because that's the right way to live your life. And they were luring them, like the man in the van with the candy, away from the true gospel. And this was infuriating, Paul. This was troubling. 
Paul. Listen, it says, but there are some who are troubling you. That word troubling in the Greek is used a couple other times in Scripture. And listen to how it was used. It described the feeling the disciples had in the ship during the storm. You remember the storm that raged and Jesus was sleeping? And they were like, how can you sleep? Wake up. We're about to die. This thing is furious. And they were troubled by the storm. In other words, they were, they were a mess. It also describes the feeling of King Herod when he heard that there was a new king that had been born in the region. Do you remember that? King Herod was troubled. Well, this is the word that Paul says they're experiencing. And he has a right to say, man, I know you're troubled by all of this. You're in distress. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. Well, listen to me. Listen to my voice because I'm speaking on behalf of the true God. Listen to my authority. It's not of men that I come to you. It's of Jesus Christ and his calling on my life. Please listen to the right voice. Like the cultists today, the Judaizers would say, we believe in Jesus Christ, but we have something wonderful to add to what you already believe, as if any man could add something better to the grace of God. Verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. For am I now trying to win the favor of people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. Notice when the apostle says an angel from heaven, he doesn't say an angel from God. Because an angel that truly came from God would not contradict the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But there are other angels. And some of those angels visit heaven. Read the book of Job. And so there can be messengers. And, and, and the interesting thing is in that day especially, how do you think they felt, you know, God revealed himself to them? Well, it was big that an angel gave me a vision, right? You remember Mary had a visit from an angel. Uh, Joseph had a dream that he was given revelation about a situation that was taking place. So, so they believed in God's revelation and God was true in revealing things through dreams and through angels, in that day especially. Can he still do it today? Yes. But will it ever contradict this? No. If it does, what did Paul say? That that, that that should get a pat on the back and a pass? No. It says that it is accursed. Accursed. I want to go to this chart. What's the big deal? Remember I asked that question? What's the big deal? Why does it matter what voice I listen to? Why does it matter what authority I accept? Well, here's the big deal. What's wrong with believing another gospel? Number one, it undermines the person and work of Jesus Christ. If something else is necessary, then Jesus was not enough. And if Jesus was not enough, what's the point of God the Father sending Jesus to a torturous cross? If there's some other way... If there's some other means by which we can attain a right standing before God the Father in heaven, 
then why did he send Jesus? The reality is God the Father knows there was no other way. In the garden, Jesus prayed, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. And he submitted to the Father's will in perfect obedience. He loved us first so that we would turn around and love him and love others on his behalf. Number two, it unleashes the curse of God into your life. This Greek word is called anathema. And it's a word that means dedicated unto destruction. It means that whatever is under that curse, that anathema, is dedicated to be destroyed before God. That is a serious thing. I don't want to be anathemized, right? I want to receive grace. And yet the Bible declares that if we teach another gospel or become a disciple of another gospel, we are under the curse of God. There's no bantering about here. This is clear. We are not to mess with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Number three, it unravels our pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Our focus becomes inward, not upward. Think about that. You start to think like, how can I get into a better standing with God? What things can I do in order to get a little further and closer to heaven? It's all about inward now. It's all about my agenda and my status. That's what false religions do. That's what they build in you. It's not, how can I please the one who is in heaven, Jesus Christ? You're not thinking about that. You're thinking about trying to get a little closer so that you'll be accepted or become a better person or whatever else that is taught in false religions. And Paul knew that with these Judaizers that had come into Galatia and he was warning the church against that. I'm out of time this morning. I hope we have seen the introduction to this book and we understand. I'm going I'm to end where I began with three questions. And I want us to think about these as we walk out the doors today. Because we're all facing different situations, different relational things, different choices, different things that we're starting to make priorities in our lives. And, and, and my question to you is this, whose voice are you listening to right now? Are you listening to the voice of truth, the voice of God, the voice that declares the true gospel? Or are you, are you distracted by some other voice? Number two, what authority trumps all others in your life? Sometimes we're like, yeah, this is good advice, good wisdom, but when it comes down to it, I'm my own boss. I'm going to make my own decisions. You just replace the true authority with an authority that's far inferior. and You don't want to do that. Number three, does how I answer these questions even matter? I go back to the baseball game. yes. It matters, but it's deeper than a baseball game, right? We see what's happening in, this, in these churches in Galatia. It matters. Paul's distressed. He recognizes it's a mess because your beliefs dictate your actions. How, what you think to be true is how you're going to start acting in life. If you think it's okay to abandon what God has to say, you start living it out. And you fall under the anathema of God. 
I'm not saying that. God's word says that. You're like, but wait a second. If I'm under grace, my sins are forgiven. True, but only God knows your heart. It says in the Bible that by the fruit, you will know them. So if you walk away from the truth of the gospel, I don't know your heart. I pray that your heart was sincere in following Jesus Christ alone. But your life shows where your beliefs are. Your life shows what you're truly living out. And God knows your heart. God's your judge, not me. But let's take this seriously to stay on track with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for your truth. God, I thank you for the letter to the Galatians, God. It has so much in it for us in our lives today. And God, help us to, to embrace your grace, experience your peace, and God, learn to love first in our lives towards others. God, help us to listen to your voice and tune out the voices that oppose your precepts and your truths and your principles, God. We ask that we can encourage one another in that, that we can build one another up in that, and at times confront in love, speak the truth in love if we see people off track. We do that for one another, just as Paul did for the church in Galatia. In Jesus' name, amen.